Welcome back, everybody. It's so good to see so many of you as we gather here, and I think you deserve a hand of encouragement. So why don't you just give yourself a big clap? Because there's nothing else we can do. We can't stand up and say hello to each other. Can I get you to do me a favor as we tune into this on-site, online service, a hybrid version for now? Sorry, just trying to get the sound correct. Hope you're not distracted. You can look at the people beside you, brothers and sisters in Christ, and hopefully all of you are wearing your name tags. So can I get you to sort of greet and acknowledge each other with your eyes? Everything now is down through your eyes and your eyebrows. Okay? Just notice their names, greet them, welcome them. It's such a historic occasion, and we cannot leave this hall without taking a photo of this, um, this turning point under God's hand for us. So again, on behalf of all the pastors and leaders at ARPC, we want to thank you for being the pioneering group that has taken the effort to come and join us for our first physical on-site services post-COVID-19 restrictions, but still with a lot of care and concern. Okay? I firstly want to qualify that uh, you're listening to Pastor Chris. Can you see me clearly? I'm seeing you through this. For the, I'm preaching with this face for the very first time, and you look quite good. Yeah, actually, you look better because I can see your wrinkles. You can't see my wrinkles, etc. And uh, yeah, there's a romantic tint here as I look at you. So six months, seven months since we met, since services stopped in February or March, and this is God's grace giving us time to resume. And we pray that step by step. The law of the land under God will open up as things stabilize for us. When Genesis, and I think hearing all around, people are learning wonderful lessons from this first book of the Bible. If you don't understand Genesis, the rest of the Bible will be a blur. But more than that, it's not understanding the book, but knowing the true and the living God. So let me ask, what are some unintended good things that have come out of COVID-19? Some unintended good things, as I meet different people in different places, that lots of us have done exercise. And I see a significant number of people who have lost weight. Some of you I can see. On the other hand, some of you seem to be slightly heavier. What are some good things that have come up? One good thing, we were just talking, I met somebody and said, yeah, the, the cases of flu, people getting sick with other flus, right? It's not as high. It's, they've just gone down. And so there are good things. The good thing here in the RPC it, uh, church is that we don't have to collect offering anymore by cash. And we don't need to get our leaders to count the cash every week. We don't need to print bulletins anymore because you're very used to e-bulletins. So we are saving trees. So there are, there are good things that have come out of this. And we'll share a lot more in the sermons ahead. One of the alarming things, one of the negative things, is the number of scams in Singapore. The number of con jobs in Singapore. And so, I hope I get this. That $82 million have been lost in scams just in the first half of 2020. And that's double that of 2019. And that's shocking. $82 million is not a mistyping. It's not $8.2 million. It's $82 million. And there are thousands of people who have now been conned or scammed. The top scams fall into these categories. E-commerce scams, 
internet impersonation loans, right? banking facing scams, and then I've highlighted for us, because this involves money and bodies, money and relationships, money and marriages and family, credit for sex scams, internet love scams. There were before COVID-19, but it's taken a spike. And investment scams. And you ask yourself, why has it spiked? Why has it doubled? Why is this so alarming? Why is it so, so destructive? And the reason for it is really interesting from the police report and statement released in our media, that criminals have been taking advantage of the COVID-19 situation to find new victims. How? By exploiting something which is now the main emotion during COVID-19 and post-COVID-19, which is fear, anxiety. The main emotion of our year, the main emotion of this crisis that we are facing, and the sense of utter, total uncertainty for yourself, for your children, for your schooling, for their jobs, for relationships, for families, for the country, for the world. And so it's very easy to, to prey on people's what? Very easy to prey on fear. And so, a few times, even before this, of course, during this crisis, we can't visit homes. But even before this, people were being con, scammed. In the times in which Mona and me were asked to go down and counsel the families, the person who had been con or scammed, you ask yourself, why? Why do they do this? How do they fall for this? Let's think of the sex category. Let's think of the investment money. And for those who go for the love scam and the sex scam, it's a lot of men, a lot of older men, and they are looking for one last fling to feel young, one last fling to feel good, one last fling to cancel a lifetime of a bad marriage or an unhappy marriage, one last fling for those who go for the money scams, one last chance, uh, one last project, one last investment, and then I can retire with ease and I can bless my wife and bless my children and it goes so wrong. A significant number of times when we go and meet the person who has been conned, it's a very rational person, it's a graduate, it's a person who has worked for 30 years of their life, could be 20 years of their life. How on earth did they get scammed? One last fling, and the result of this is so near yet so far, especially for the older folk, beginning with a significant number of the older men, because for you and me to lose money to a scam when you're 20 years old, it's okay. It's not okay, but it's okay. You know you can rebuild your life. If you lose money and lots of it right, um, in your 40s, it's all right. But to lose money in your 60s and 70s, it's not all right. It's too late. It's so wasted. It's, you're too old. You cannot make a new start because you have lost it all at the prime of your life. You have lost it all in the last season of your life. So just ask the sportsman who was so near yet so far, Li Chongwei of Malaysia, right? Always wanted to win the Olympics, but it's too late now. He's too old. He's got cancer. You multiply that and some things in life, you, it's irreversible. 
when you capture the pathos of that, the pain and the conflict of that, my friends, then you can understand what's happening here with Abraham in Genesis 20 and 21. Because he now falls into sin. As he falls into sin, it's 25 years later. And this time, as he lies about Sarah being his sister instead of being his wife, if she gets pregnant, there is no turning back. This won't be a child that comes from God's promise to Abraham. This will be a child that came from Abimelech. So near, yet so far, so wasted. I, I almost got it, I almost got it. But it slipped through because fear gripped your heart. So if you're tuning in for the very first time to get you all on the same page, all of us on the same page, you need to understand this. From Genesis 12 to 24 is God, Abraham, and the message for us. So Genesis 12, God promises Abraham blessings and through him global blessings and not just global blessings but eternal blessings. Genesis 12, later part of it, verse 4 onwards, Abraham sins but God rescues him. And what was his sin? He lied as he went down to Egypt and encountered Pharaoh. He lied for the first time that, his, that Sarah was his, actually his sister. But God rescued him. Then 13 and 14, Abraham is rescued. He is rewarded. Chapter 15, he's assured by the covenant as he gets older and older and, and Sarah gets older and older and the bio clock is clicking away. The chances of them getting a child is seemingly impossible, but he's assured by a covenant. By Genesis 16, it's Sarah now who sins by saying, no, I don't think it's true me. My, my womb is dead. My bio clock is gone. She's worn out, the Hebrew language translated in English. She's worn out. She's past her menopausal period, menopausal season of life. She's gone. There is no hope. It's a dead womb. Try Hagar. Try Hagar. But it turns out to be wrong. And God rescues in Genesis 17, Abraham assured by circumcision. And then Genesis 18, Abraham assured by visitation, the three, the three visitors, and one of whom is the Lord, two angels. And then 19, Abraham rescues Lot from Sodom. And now we arrive here. Abraham sins again. If he had sinned earlier, Fine, but now he's really hitting the 100-year mark. This is so near, yet so far. I hope you capture it, because this is part of the greater story. The greater story of not two Jewish folk, not two Hebrew folk, but this two hold the keys to whether the world lives in sin, in death, in curses, or whether the world live as God originally purposed in blessing. And there is no word of blessing until Genesis chapter 12. And so when you play it backwards, you see what is on view here is not simply about a couple, whether they are childless or whether they have children, because the whole world's destiny hangs on the promises to them. And how they respond to God and His promises given in His Word. And so a simple way to understand this 
portion, today's sermon, is God over our lies and God over our laughter in 21. So are you ready to plunge in? Keep your Bibles open. From there, Abraham journeyed towards the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur and his sojourn in Gerah. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, the king of Gerah, sent and took Sarah. few things to take note is he sojourned in Gerah. Gerah was a caravan town. And so by God's grace, having been to the Middle East, having been on an Israel tour and Turkey, you get to see towns and you get to see caravan towns. A caravan town in Singapore terms is a transport hub. It's the meeting of two MRT train lines, three MRT train lines. If you have a property close to a transportation hub, you have struck gold in Singapore or anywhere in the world because you want to live as close. A transport hub is always because without transport, there is no commerce. Without commerce, there is no livelihood. Without livelihood, we crash. Isn't that what we're worried about? That we exist because we are a transport hub. And so he arrives in sojourns at this quite major town, a caravan town. And the ruler of this town, his name is Abimelech. And his name actually means, my father is king. You want to try that, walking around with a name like Abimelech? My father is king. <laughs> what a name. But it was quite a common name, as you see, in the rest of the Old Testament. And so that's important to realize. But notice the story, the account, the narrative moves very quickly. And all of a sudden, most of us too, Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerah, sent and took Sarah. So what's the response here? It all seems to be going well. There's nothing wrong here. Until, until, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because the woman, because of the woman you have taken. For she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? That sounds really drastic from God, right? Look hard at verse, five, uh, verse 3 again. You behold, you are dead men. You wouldn't expect that from the lips and the words of God. Behold, you are dead men. One of the uh, thriller movies that, that was out that made an impact was a movie called Taken, right? starring Liam Neeson. And in Taken, his daughter is kidnapped. And then the kidnappers send him a message. And as he picks up the phone and he hears that, he says this. And this is the most quotable quote from the movie, which is used in many places. And so he says to father, to the kidnappers over the phone, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have is a very special set of skills I've acquired over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go down, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. I was thinking about this. 
this passage sounds a bit like taken, right? Because God's version is, God's version to Abimelech, right, in Gerar is, I know who you are. I know what you want. I do have a very particular set of skills. And if you don't let her go, I will find you and I will track you down. Behold, you are a dead man. Why does God say that? So uncharacteristic of this God of truth and love and mercy. But He says that you are a dead man if you keep her. And so, what is the response of Abimelech? How does he respond? He responds this way. Passage goes on. Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I've done this. And so he pleads his integrity of heart. He pleads his innocence of hands. If I really knew she was his wife, I wouldn't have touched her with a 10-foot pole. And to be sure, in reading the commentaries, there were very strict cultural rules and norms about marriage, that you'll never take another man's wife. And it's serious. And so for, for this to happen, it's true, it's true. But then God says to him this. God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you have done this. In the integrity of your heart, the God who knows your heart, the God who knows your heart, that's very important, Raymond. I'm trying to find as many names to name here. That's very important to know, Lon. Very important to know, right? Errol. That God knows our heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Did you see the sequence here? It is I, God, who kept you, Abimelech, from sinning against her. No, from sinning against me. Because when you sin against her, you sin against me. Because she and Abraham are my instruments, are my vessels of receiving this promise for global blessings. You may not know that, but if you touch her, and so God is saying to Abimelech, it's true, it's true that you, you have not touched her, which means you have not slept with her, which means you haven't had sex with her, which means that you have not had intercourse with her, which means that you haven't impregnated her. But you know what? Just in case you think it is you, it is me that stopped you from doing this. And so he pleads his integrity, but God proclaims his sovereignty. If God wasn't sovereign over him, he would have no such integrity of heart and innocence of hands. Do you see that in your own life? Yes. You and me make real decisions, we take real actions, but it is God's sovereignty who rules, who knows our hearts and rules our hearts and controls our hands. Try to stop a man when he's turned on by a woman. Try to stop a woman when she's turned on by a man. In the heat of the moment, we saw that, didn't we? Where? Just last week. The whole town, the whole city of Sodom were men on heat. Men on heat are uncontrollable. And Abimelech, it is God who stopped him. So how does it unfold? Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, 
and you shall live. But if you do not return her, here is the taken message. Know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Slightly more threatening than what Liam Neeson said in Taken. Slightly more. So, what lessons have we to learn here? Abraham's response. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I sinned against you? That you have brought on me my kingdom, a great sin. You have done to me things that not ought to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see? that you did this thing. Whenever you read the Bible, especially whenever you read Old Testament accounts of true incidences that happen, please always use this grid, this framework. Notice the vertical dimensions where God is present and notice the horizontal dimensions and dialogue and relationships. And now, after God had spoken to Abimelech, Abimelech confronts Abraham. What is it that you have done to me what is it? And so, that is, and what is Abraham's response? Abraham said, I, I did. I did it. Because I thought, there is no fear of God at all in this place called Gerah and his people. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. Have you gotten lost? I hope you can follow the storyline. It's as clear as day. And so, what happens here? Abimelech, he doesn't see what the narrator is writing. Of course, we see that. And he doesn't see what Abraham had done with Lot in the previous chapter. So, but we see, because the writer has told us, what is it that Abraham, there's a change in Abraham, isn't there? From Genesis 18 and 19, to Genesis 20. In Genesis 18, he was, speaking, he, was, he was speaking to God to forgive the Sodomites, beginning with Lot's family. That's what he was pleading for. Here, he's speaking to deceive Abimelech, king of Gerar. He went from speaking on behalf to forgive to deceiving. He went from, he was speaking the truth but now he's speaking a half-truth. It is a half-truth that Sarah is his sister, but it's not the total truth. He goes from spontaneous prayer and intercession for the people of Sodom, beginning with Lot and his family, to now, by the end of this portion, he is forced to pray because God tells him, go and pray for Abimelech. Did you notice his change? And we call that the yo-yo or the roller coaster of faith. That as he gets to know God, his life goes on this up and down and is growing. Isn't that so much like, like you? Like me. Why like you, like me? I just want you to hold it there for a moment because I'm going to come to it at the end. Why does Abraham go on this yo-yo? And it's a thing that I've been preaching and teaching here. Who you are in one season of life 
is no guarantee of who you may be in the next season. Who you are today is no guarantee of who you will be in your walk with God and your walk with others, apart from God keeping you to Himself. And so, lessons from Abraham. This was Abraham's latest phobia, latest fear, latest anxiety. Notice verse 11, I did and so I thought. So he left God out of his, of his thinking, exit God and exit God's wisdom, enter self and enter self-wisdom, exit God and exit God's protection and providence, and enter self and enter self-providence and protection and preservation. Verse 11b, there is no fear of God in this place. He sort of equated in his mind his self-interpretation as he journeyed. He was a nomad. So he went from 10 to 10 to 10. It was Lot who chose the bright lights of a city. And so he misjudged and then he misconcluded that the Gerarites, I don't know that's what they're called, the people of Gerar, right? The Gerarites were the same as the Sodomites. He just whitewashed them, that there's no good person here. And verse 11, they kill me because of my wife. Me? Because of my wife. And when God calls, so he starts to hint that it was God who brought him out of this journey as, it, as God asked him to go to the land, leave everything behind. It's God who started this thing. He had to learn how to preserve himself. And it's a very deep truth, a spiritual truth of sin. The character of sin, friends, is this. I call it the deadly triplet. You think self, you endanger others, you grieve God. You think yourself, you endanger others, you harm others, you grieve God. There is always that. You reflect on every sin. I'm just going to pause, ask you to pause for a moment. You reflect on every temptation, and if that temptation sadly turns into a sin in your life, small or big, and there's no such thing like small or big, you reflect on every temptation, and sadly every temptation that turns into, into a sin, you will find these three characteristics. You thought of yourself. God went out of the picture. You hurt others, you harm others, you endangered others because you thought of yourself first. Then ultimately, you grieve God and I grieve God. Take that to heart, my friends. In all our relationships, in all our marriages, in all our homes, you come back dead tired from work or you've been, you've been zooming, now you're now zombie, right? Six zooms in a day, that's enough to make you a vegetable. Enough. One hour each, one and a half hours each, and you carry on, you're just zooming and zooming. I just bump into one or two people and say, I can't take it anymore, I have to go back to work. This zooming is killing me. <laughs> Some of us love it, right? Because the introverts love work from home. The extroverts are dying. So I don't know where you are. So it must be the extroverts who are here today. <laughs> so you, whether you're tired from working out there or Zooming at home and you, you've been asked to do something in the, in the marriage, in the relationship, <laughs> you won't do it, you think self, you harm the other person, you misjudge the other person, out comes a quarrel and there you go, you both grieve God. That's the recipe for disaster. You think of yourself first. 
Can you help me with the dishes? No. Can you help me with the baby? I'm too tired. You know, I had five Zooms already. You, yours is so easy. You're just housewife, right? Did I just say that? It's always think self. How others? Grieve God. And you escalate that to this. Lessons. From Abraham's... Did you notice what was my previous slide? It was his latest fear. Because now it is his pattern of fear in his life. And the pattern of, his, of fear in his life in Genesis 12, right, when he had fear, whenever him being a nomad, and everywhere he went, pitch tents, take out tents, go with all his herds and camels. Okay? He seemed to have a fear of cities. Whenever he entered cities and rulers, he would go into, Sarah is my sister. The trigger was the city. Right? Lord chose the city. Seems to be. And Genesis 16, his partner of Sarah's fear. And Genesis 20, fear in the face of Gerah and Abimelech. And so we need to beware of certain things. Is there a pattern of fear in your life, Hanel? Is there a pattern of fear in your life, Richard? Is there a pattern of fear in your life, Christopher Chia? All of us living outside God's presence have fear. And it's what we call primal fear. Instinctive fear. Primal fear, default fear. That means you think something, it triggers you, and instinctively you go into your fear response. It becomes destructive fear. Right? And so by, by chance, by God's, chance, by God's sovereignty, we chance upon a YouTube video on this group that Mona and me grew up with, the Osmonds. Have you heard of the Osmonds? If you're nodding away, you're about my age. <laughs> and the most famous of the Osmond brothers is Donnie. Right? Donnie and Marie, right? they had that show. At the height of their popularity, they were worth 80 million US dollars. And that was about 40 years ago, friend. But because they trusted their managers completely, overnight, what their managers invested in disappeared. And the Osmond brothers who worked so hard from young because their father trained them from young to do this, to sing in harmony, to dance in harmony, etc. A whole life crash. And one of the brothers, Merrill, said, 18 years old, he just sat there and said, this is it. And put a knife to his throat. And he was going to slice himself. But something stopped him. And he believes he was God. They belonged, they are Mormons, right? That's a different story altogether. But he believed it was God who stopped him. And now the Osman brothers spend about six months. They are now older than me, you know? Because we watched them, they were heroes. Right? In their 60s, in their 70s, six months a year, they are in this town. It's an entertainment town, it's not Las Vegas. And they perform, still all together, minus Donnie. And what, does, uh, what is Merrill's number one word? Merrill's number one word is that every day, because he puts on his website, I'm available, every day, if he can save one person from suicide, he's happy. And what usually triggers that? Very complex, but it's usually a primal fear, an instinctive fear, right? a destructive fear, deeply rooted 
in your heart and my heart is deeply rooted and consistently recurring. Can you please take note of that? As we saw it in Abraham's life, deeply rooted whenever he thought he was going to a place he was not familiar with, he was familiar as a nomadic lifestyle. Whenever he headed towards the city, it triggered him. And so, I do not know. What's your primal fear? What's your instinctive fear? It is deeply seated and rooted, but is making you recur in your sin against God again and again. Triggers coping mechanisms. Triggers coping mechanisms. And today as you come here, today as you listen to it, wherever, I think it's time that you and me ask the Lord for help before you carry on with a lifetime of that fear consuming you. Somewhere along the line, it has to stop because the great enemy to fear, a great enemy to faith is fear. Then beware of our so near yet so far temptation because for Abraham to mess up 20, 25 years ago was already bad enough, lying as he went to Egypt, lying to Pharaoh. For him to mess up now, it's... You blow it now, we blow it all forever. And sometimes, friends, we arrive in that cycle of life. You blow it now, you blow it forever. It's almost irreversible, humanly speaking. And so you could have been a bright student all your life. Then all of a sudden, your, your brightness, you took your brightness, your intelligence for, for granted and s- always thought that if you just mark uh, the last week or the last two weeks, you will... You will you will cinch it, right? You will pass. You will more than pass. You, you do well. I, I've told you this story, I think, a few times. I was preaching overseas in, in, in Malaysia. Before I got to speak, I turned to this young man and I said to him, thank you for coming for this conference. And what are you doing? He says, I'm a medical student. I said, that's great, right? He says, that's not great. I'm taking a year off. Why are you taking a year off? Because I'm addicted to pornography. He has enough intelligence, he has enough education. Medical students means they are top of the crop. But education is no panacea for this friend. It's so near yet so far, almost finishing, almost done. But I have to take a break. And sometimes it breaks you. And it can go on, friends, in life, to all the different areas. You married a spouse very sadly. And after you married him, you discovered he's a gambler. But out of love for him, you build him up again and again. And each time, the debts are 10,000, 20,000, 50,000. But each time you build him up, he, he comes out clean. But it's only there for a year, two years. And then after he's been clean for five years, he goes and does this as 100,000. How on earth are we going to get out of 100,000 now? Are you kidding me? So it goes on. Remember I started with? When you lose your CPF and you lose your investments in your 60s and 70s, it's so near, yet so far. You blow it now, you blow it forever. And sometimes in your life and my life, you come to that point and you have to listen very carefully 
Because if you don't deal with your primal fears and it recurs, it may be blow it forever. But thankfully for Abraham, God has the last word. He always has the last word. And the people of God said, Amen. So how does Genesis 20 end? Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Before we arrive here, you know, that Abimelech rewards Abraham and in one sense compensates Sarah and honours her, gives her back her dignity, gives her back her honour for him wrongly taking her into his harem. And then you should notice the irony here. This is who praying for who? Shouldn't Abraham be praying for himself? Shouldn't he be praying for his own wife, Sarah? For her womb to be open instead? How come he can't pray for himself? It gives you a little bit of insight, right? That on the one hand, this is Genesis 12. And Genesis 12, all who bless Abraham will be blessed. And Abimelech has just turned around. Unintentionally, he took things from Abraham, took his wife. But now that he's learned his encounter with God, he now blesses Abraham. And in, in response to that, God, through Abraham, blesses Abimelech. So did Abraham ever pray? Boy, did he pray. But there's another dimension of prayer. Sometimes prayer answers to prayer. In Hokkien here, Hokkien is a Chinese dialect here in Singapore. We are tuning in from different countries, from Africa to, to America. It's Tan Ku Ku, which means it's a long wait. <laughs> yes, God did promise. He did promise. But it's been 20 years. It's been 25 years. How many of you have waited that long for a prayer to be answered? And so, this is how it ends in chapter 20. We have to fast forward very quickly to chapter 21. In chapter 21, God over our laughter, God over our lament, and God over our land can only cover this in summary for us. So are you still ready to follow me? Yep. Very important chapters here for us. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. This is a God that you can take and bank your life on his promise. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. At the time of which God had spoken to him, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And so if you've been following the account, you could almost call this, this is it. This is the baby, right? T-H-E, capital, bold, bright lights. This is the baby. This is the mother of all births because it's fulfillment at last, just as God promised. So I want to ask you, what gives you great happiness? What gives you great joy? What gives you great satisfaction? Do not know. For many of us, food. For many of us, holidays. And so we can't have holidays. But thank God for the ingeniousness and creativity. Well, we now have flights to nowhere and cruises to nowhere too. We love these things that give us satisfaction. You know what gives us satisfaction? 
I don't know, I just spent the night uh, at the hospital just going through some tests for my heart, irregular heartbeat, etc. So my dog is very close to me. It's, he's already 12 years old. Apparently, he was so sad last night. He kept looking for me up and down, up and down, because <laughs> he sleeps beside me every night. Right? He kept looking for me. When I came back, he was just jumping. You know when you see a dog that's happy? It just goes round and round and round. You know, dogs, I've told you this, they're very sensitive to tone of voice. If you express happiness simply with your tone of voice, pass my exam, somebody be- believe in Christ, somebody got healed in church, he hears that tone here and he's going round and round, he's happy, but he doesn't know why he's happy. As long as we are happy, he's happy. <laughs> so I want to ask you, what gives you the greatest satisfaction, the greatest joy in life? There's an insight of, he- of it in this passage. The greatest joy is found here. The unlimited joy, because Isaac's name is laughter, comes after our patience is tested to the limit. Our limited joy comes when God's promise has been delayed endlessly, finally comes true. Our limited joy comes after our self-rescue falls, fails completely. You say to yourself, enough of me trying. Because every time I try, I mess it up. Every time I try, I mess it up. There is no greater joy, I suggest to you, as you read Genesis 21, than to see God's faithfulness fulfilled in the gospel and gospel promises. No greater joy than God fulfilling His promises. And you will see this by the end of Genesis 50. Joseph He's the one who's been sold into slavery by his brothers, but he's the one who's going to save his brothers and start the nation of Israel. No greater joy when Moses finally leads his people out of Egypt. No greater joy than Joshua leading his people into the promised land. No greater joy when David and then Solomon finally build the temple. No greater joy when Jesus comes. There is no greater joy than to see God's faithfulness fulfilled in our lives. So no greater joy here in ARPC. God has just answered us as part of preaching the gospel, which is the fulfillment in Christ Jesus, setting us free from Satan, setting us free from sin, setting us free from God's wrath and and death. And God has just expanded and just given us not just ARPC in two places, but ARPC in three places, ARPC now. And it's been confirmed again and again. I do not know what you keep of the papers. A whole page spread of what? Of how Turner, the newest HDB estate, is going to turn out. And over 10, 20 years, there'll be 42,000 people living there. And guess what? As you look at this map, as you look at this map, this one here, right? you see the red dot here? This is the central part of Tengah. And guess where ARPC is? We are just one street away from that. Who do you think brought us there? And that's why we are calling the project ARPC at Tengah. It shouldn't take very much spiritual insight to know that He has brought us there for a time like this. You see the fingerprints of God and increasingly more and more people just after our ACM in which we passed this mandate by 94%, right, that's a miracle that during the crisis of COVID-19, 
to get 94% saying that we'll say yes to this. Somebody came personally and handed me a check. $10,000. Before we even launched the building fund, say just to say to you, we believe that God is behind this project. You know what I did with that check? I pocketed it. Oh, sorry. No. <laughs> of course it was written out to the church. I can't pocket it. I took a photo. Anything that's a spiritual milestone, I take a photo. So I never forget the battles and the eyes and the shilohs, the spiritual milestones. And yes, we're going to raise $19.2 million against all odds. And some of us are going to give out of adversity. The majority of us will give out of plenty. And some of us exceedingly blessed by God materially and financially over the years. You know that God has blessed you and you have enough for your children, enough for yourself and your children and some uh, to many generations. May God put upon your heart and a burden. This is your chance to make an investment for a lifetime. And so we're going to send you the details of that. Right? Because our fundraising publicity is out to all our members, to our DGs and our, and our regulars here. And we pray that it's not us who planned this. Did you not see? Do you not see the gospel fingerprints? From the calling of Abraham to the dying and resurrection of Jesus to the growth of the church is always against all odds. That God brings life out of death, life out of death. This is a death situation for us, globally, materially, economically. But God is going to bring life, eternal life, as we step out in faith and do this. And the people of God said, Amen. Even though you have your mask on, I want to assure everybody watching that the people here said, Amen. Right. Let's try that loudly. Amen. There was Pastor Jeff leading the chorus. And so, unlimited joy, no greater satisfaction then when we see God fulfill His promises, He's going to do what He's going to do. Sarah Hagar Abraham, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with the son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And so the laughter lasted there was a feast, it was unbridled, it was wonderful, and all of a sudden the laughter turned to sadness. The laughter turned to lament. Why? Why? Because the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, was laughing. What kind of laughter is this? Joyous laughter? Laughing together with you or laughing at you? Mocking laughter. Or the Hebrew could say he was playing with Isaac. By this time, when he was weaned, Isaac was two, three years old. By this time, Ishmael was maybe 15, 16 years old. He was a teenager. Right? And I think the context most likely leans towards he was mocking him. So Abraham had two sons, but Abraham can only have one heir. And in Middle Eastern culture, the elder should be the heir. And it shouldn't be Isaac. And so... All those things are there. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. And God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of this boy and because of this slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall the offspring be named. Did you notice there's a change? 
Right? In Genesis 3, God said to Adam, because you listened to your wife. And then in Genesis 16, Sarah hatched this thing about Hagar, and Abraham should have not listened to Sarah, but now for the very first time, God says, Abraham, listen to your wife. Why the change? Because try to understand the text and then the context and the real situation. Who do you love most? Parents. All the parents here, hands up. All parents here. Even if you're not parents, you're aunties, uncles. You, that, you always say to your elders, right? You love the elders more simply because you've got more time. Lah. You didn't laugh, but never mind. Because the elders is elders. You love that elders one, one year more than the rest, two years more than the rest, three years more than the rest. So who did Abraham spend more time with by now? Ishmael. The chances were high that he liked Ishmael a lot. And could he like him a lot at the expense of Isaac? And if he loved Ishmael more than Isaac, then that would be a threat to God's promise. So God says to Abraham, for the first time in your life, listen to Sarah. You have two sons, but your chosen heir is Isaac. You have to let him go. So whatever Sarah says, you let him go. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on the shoulders along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. This is the goodbye forever or forever goodbye. Have you ever said a goodbye forever? I tell you, it's heartbreaking. The tears never stop. It would have been really hard for Abraham. Really. When the water in the skin was gone, which means the supplies were gone. You ever run short of water? On a trip, on a trek, out in the wilderness? You don't know where the tap is there because there are no taps. She put the boy on, under one of the bushes and she went off and sat down about a bow shot away for she thought, I cannot watch. You ever watch your, your child die? Of thirst? As she sat there, she began to sob. And so the first part for Sarah, here is the mother of all births, Isaac, laughter. For Hagar, this is the mother of all lament. And I'm being cast off. And my son is about to die from thirst. And God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, take him up by the hand for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes. She saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. See that? Isaac and Ishmael, just because God chose Isaac doesn't mean he has lost his mercy and grace and justice towards Ishmael. It's a mystery we cannot work out. But the cries of this boy, this teenage boy, reaches to God and God hears his cries and not just saves him, but promises him a future. And the future for Ishmael is, hey, you'll not just survive this drought, you'll not just survive this thirst, you'll not just survive this almost died moment, you will, have, you will be a great nation. And so it ends. And then there's this thing about Abraham and 
Abraham and Abimelech striking a deal about a well, a land, in that land. What is this about? When you back away and understand this well at Bathsheba is a very important thing. Notice, Abraham has been a nomad, a nomad, a nomad, a nomad. Where? In the land that God showed him. This is the first time he puts a deposit down in the land of Canaan. And it's not an important, friends, because in one episode, in one chapter, God fulfills his promise of child and promise of child through that child descendants in the land. That's the symbolism of it. And so far from it being broken, see the big points. Genesis 20 opens with Abraham so near yet so far sin that threatens global blessing. Genesis 21 ends with God fulfilling his promise, clearing up the mess. What mess? Clearing up the mess of Abraham and Sarah thinking about Hagar. That is a mess. You brought a child into the world. What do we do with that? And securing the land for them. And so marvellous gospel lessons as we end our time. The marvellous gospel lessons as we end our time that will take us from the Old to the New Testament. Notice that the greatest threat to God's promise, God's covenant to bless us, the greatest threat is the recipient beginning with Abraham and Sarah. And I want to say to you, it still remains the same, that God is the ultimate covenant keeper and we are the ultimate covenant breakers. So as you sit here, you and me right, have every likelihood in our sinful nature, tempted by Satan in the world, to break. So we repeatedly run to the edge of the cliff in our lives. And you repeatedly see God pull you back from the edge of the cliff. So how do you stop yourself from doing this and make yourself more and more a covenant keeper that you would live by God's word, listen to his promises, hold fast to Jesus as Jesus holds fast to you? You do it by coming here. Hello. So all who came here and all who stayed at home, please come. Because sooner rather than later, it is Christian fellowship encouraging each other that God is true. We have a true God. We are true church. And we've got to meet people truly in the flesh. You may not be able to see, but the number one person who wanted to come back for the very first service is Sri Lan's father, Mr. Cool. Right? Saying, no matter how old, no matter how weak, I want to go back to church. Can we all give him a hand of encouragement? Not easy. And if Mr. Koo, Uncle Koo, can see the importance of fellowship, that this is what keeps me falling over the edge, that I want to keep hearing God's word and meeting God's people, and every month as we have that agape lunch, that Mona and the women run, he'll be here. Because for the elderly and the shut-in, they need to hear. They need to meet God's people. Though all our days are numbered, friends, we know they are numbered they are numbered for eternity because Jesus is the fulfillment of this. So is sickness stopping you? Is disappointment stopping you? Please, be a covenant keeper. Lesson number two as we end. Please take note that God's singular yes cancels all our plural no's. 
God's gospel, yes, cancels our human nose. And God's consistent faithfulness nullifies our consistent unfaithfulness. Do you know that? That God consistently does that. And here he is pulling Abraham and Sarah from the mess that they made with Hagar. This is the God who knows how to clear us up mess. No problem is too big. No mess is too messy for him to clear up. No sin is too big or too dark for him to forgive. Do you believe that? That is the gospel. That is Jesus loving us to his death, resurrection, ascension. And that's why we must gather as God's people. And last but not least, the long wait for God's mercy to triumph over our mess. Sorry, typo there. To triumph over our mess. It's a long wait. Waiting for God to fulfill His promises. Remember last week I gave an example of, I gave the story of Archie Williams, who was jailed for 37 years wrongly for alleged rape and they convicted him. 37 years. But what kept him going? Go read it. He became a Christian. He sang songs. He held on to God and His Word. He, he held on to the Gospel and he always knew that this God is a God of justice. And he waited, and he waited. And he could imagine one day as he came out, he's going to sing about God and God saving him. I think he's now become a pastor. And here are the wonderful truths of God given to us. Hold fast, brothers and sisters in Christ. For those who are here, you may stand as we close in prayer together. You deserve our glory and honour and praise. For you are faithful, God. Consistently faithful, even in the face of our consistent unfaithfulness. It is you and your mercy and your grace that will bring us out of the mess of our lives. And all that you promise us, though we may have to wait long, will come to pass. Help us to hear the glorious gospel Help us to believe in your Son and power us by your Spirit. So we thank you for this day in which this assemblance of us gathering together on site physically to continue to spur and encourage each other on to love and to good deeds. And we pray for your mercy and your grace that life will resume not to its bad normalcy but to its good normalcy and to the urgency of us giving ourselves to believe in you and to become more like your son. In his mighty name we pray. Amen.